0: You. Come see what the Lord can do for you. Better yet, come see what you can do for him. Bring all your sins and your suffering. Hello, and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents. And we always, on this program, try to take a look at things that people wrestle with when they're either thinking about coming into the Catholic Church or coming back to the Catholic Church, uh, as we're going to talk about in today's episode. And if that's you, if you have any kind of questions at all, uh, be sure to check out our site, chnetwork.org. Uh, we also have an online community, where you can plug in and have conversations with all kinds of people who've been through the kind of stuff that you're going through right now and would love to just share their own journeys and hear yours. Uh, That's community.chnetwork.org. And of course, if you want to support our work, uh, we would love to um, have your help in the mission. It's chnetwork.org slash donate. I'm Matt Swaim, director of outreach for the Coming Home Network, and I'm super excited uh, to have the guys on that we've got on today. We've got Carlos Zamora. Some know him as C26. Fonzie Pedroza. Some know him as Separate Mind. Um, these guys are both part of a group called Found Nation. And I'm basically trying to complete my Pokemon deck of Found Nation guys <laughs> whose, uh, conversion stories I've collected. And, uh, Carlos, you've told yours on the journey home. So has John Levi, another member of the group. Fonzie, I've not gotten yours yet. So I'm super excited to, uh, to hear some of your stories. So welcome, guys.
1: Thank you for having us, Matt. Appreciate
0: it.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks.
0: So the purpose of this episode is uh, I know that you hear from all kinds of people. I hear from all kinds of people, their objections about, you know, why they used to be Catholic and they're not Catholic anymore. And I've heard everything from like, they disagree with the church to um, they don't like hypocrisy that they see in the church. But I also run into a whole lot of people who feel like they've done too much stuff that they can never be forgiven for, that they'll go back to confession and a priest is going to just yell at them. Um, Mm -hmm. They'll walk into Mass for the first time in 20 years, and everybody's going to know they're like this huge sinner. So hopefully we can knock some of that down a little bit today. Uh, I want to start by getting into kind of the beginnings of your story um, and your beginnings in faith. And I'll start with you, Carlos. Um, Okay. All right. What kind of faith were you raised with, and when did you kind of start to to veer off of that?
1: Well, I, I was born and raised Catholic. Born and raised Catholic, I was baptized actually at the same parish that I attend today. So um, I was baptized there I went at the age of six months. And so um, it wasn't very, very long, maybe, but I would say probably second, third grade before I started to kind of feel um, kind of distant, I think more so because I kind of felt discriminated against at the church that we were attending at the time. At, at, at the time, it, there were not a, lot, not a lot of minorities there at the church. Uh, we were one of the only families that was a minority family. So I kind of felt that at an early age. So I kind of already, you know, felt myself getting distant and then, you know, come middle school, high school, when I started getting involved in, in kind of a street life, gangs, drugs, those types of things. Um, that's when I felt myself even starting to get even further than I was previously. Right. And so, um, I didn't actually necessarily stop practicing my faith or stop believing, so to say, just kind of slowly but surely. I just, I just stopped showing up, you know, it's like, I didn't stop believing. I still believed in God. I still prayed as best I knew how, but uh, yeah, I just, um, I didn't have anybody that was really trying to draw me back other than my mom at the time. Right. So um, yeah, that's, that's a long story short.
0: Yeah. So Fonzie, I, I don't know but just bits and pieces of your story from stuff, uh, most of that you've shared in, in lyrics. <laughs> but, uh, for you, um, I mean, it seems to me from, from what you've shared, you had kind of like a complex, uh, cause you were born in Mexico, right? Um, and, right. and had That's some right. interesting situations, even with like your parents and faith along the way too. So I wonder if you could share a little bit of that and how, how that played out in your early life.
2: Sure. Um, so born and raised Catholic, um, only as far as being a cultural Catholic goes as a, as a Mexican, um, you know, a lot of the times, unfortunately, that just becomes a cultural thing. It's not something that is, it's seeped into our lifestyle. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the prayer and going to mass and stuff like that. It just becomes, oh, something you check off your list and you're done. You know, I was baptized as an infant. And then around nine or 10 months old was when uh, we came to join my dad here in the States. He had already been here uh, about a year. And so finally got enough money to come over, came through the desert and all that, almost died um, from a scorpion bite and ended up in Orange County. Um, And uh, for about 20 something years before I moved here to Houston, lived with my wife. And uh so growing up, I mean, we hardly really went to church uh, up until about maybe late elementary. So maybe about, I was maybe seven, eight, as far as I can remember, uh, a friend of my mom's um, or a friend of my parents, they were going to Calvary Chapel and uh, they were inviting them and then... So we started going there because I do remember going to Sunday school there. Uh, it's super mega church, you know? Um, and so yeah, I remember the big hall and all that just vividly because we'd go there every week. And then, um, it was through my dad around the time that he started reading scripture and all that. He felt something was missing, you know? And it was on, uh, I think it was a Monday night. He just heard some music. He heard a bass line playing and some drums and he just followed the music. And sure enough, uh, we had lived from across the parish, uh, altogether 10 years, but five of those years we had no idea that it was a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And we just lived a half a block away. And so he followed the music. It was at the school parish and, or the parish school. And, um, it was a charismatic prayer group that would meet on Monday nights. And it was so through my dad, he, he joined the choir, started playing the guitar. And around this time, I was 11. Um, at that time, I was only visiting them. Um, no, actually, so time passes. I was 11 when I picked up the guitar, but I was living in Oregon with my uncle because my mom sent me, uh, to get, uh, as a discipline for getting in trouble. You know, I was already getting in trouble. Yeah. In I was about grade. to
0: ask about that because it seems yeah. like both of you guys sort of got into all kinds of crazy stuff around the same, the same ages. Um, yeah. but you had had some kind of experience of, of Christianity uh so mm-hmm. what's interesting you bring up Calvary Chapel so Calvary Chapel factors into my story not because I ever went there but a lot of the Christian like alternative and rock bands from the 90s came out of the Calvary Chapel scene in oh, wow. California uh so I had some, mm-hmm. some some contact with that and it really was kind of like a um, music was a big part of it uh, it, was, it was a huge movement. Chuck Smith founded this massive thing. And a lot of people who I know mm-hmm. who were involved in it were people who were raised Catholic. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I want to get into, because this is something that comes up um, in your music a lot for, for both of you. Uh, I want to kind of get into to yours in just a second, Fonzie, but I know for you, Carlos, like when you were, you mentioned that that you didn't feel like you were super welcome in church. And that could be for like, you know, felt either whether real or perceived like the idea that like, you know, there are not a lot of people that look like me. So maybe I'm not, maybe I don't belong here. Right. Uh, but also, um, if I recall, didn't you get told by like one youth minister not to come back because of the stuff that you were doing and how it was causing danger to people. I wonder if you could share maybe, maybe that aspect of what was driving you away.
1: Yeah. This was actually in, in high school. Um, I want to say it was a junior or senior in high school. Granted, I had I had gotten into some pretty serious trouble, and, and there was you know it was it was kind of dangerous. Let's put it that way, right? I don't want to get into all the gory details, but um, you know people have been shot and stabbed and jumped you know over this you know stuff that was going on at the time, and so you know um, for me that that Wednesday night youth group that I used to go to from at my or for, for my parish was a uh, kind of like my getaway or like my this is my my little retreat away from the street life stuff that I was doing, right? Um, which is probably not the the best reason to be there, right? You know, but you know, at least I was there, right? And and again, it's, I, I did believe in what I was learning. It wasn't like I didn't believe, um, but you know, my primary reason was just kind of get away. And, and so the the youth minister, um, the the family it was it was a husband and wife, right? Uh, whose, whose son eventually came, became a priest, uh, asked me to stop coming to the youth group because they thought that it was going to be, that I would basically bring a danger to the other kids that were there at the group. And so, you know, um, you know, at the time, I was pretty hurt by it because, I, again, that was just kind of my go-to place for, for peace and sanity, right? And, and uh, it was taken away from me. And, uh, and you know, shortly thereafter, I was, I was kicked out of school and uh ended up my my parents actually sent me away kind of like Fonzie's parents to go live with uh with my aunt and uncle down in Laredo Texas so everything was kind of going on at the same time so you know at that age you just kind of take it like ah, man nobody you know nobody nobody really cares or nobody really loves me or, or whatever it was right and uh so that's how I felt at the time you know I don't feel that way nowadays you know um uh, even though I think still nowadays every every now and then we'll still come across some people who are you know, not real excited about the idea of Catholic hip hop or whatnot, but eh, I guess it is what it is.
0: <laughs> That's because they haven't listened to it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got, it. everybody thinks they know what it is. But, uh, um, as, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, you guys are somehow managed to fit like all four and dogmas into, into like four bars. <laughs> uh, but Fonzie with you, when you were living in, in Oregon with your uncle, were you going to church at all during that time? Did you feel like you could go to church? Were you being dragged to church against your will? Like where was church in your life when you were, you know, kicked off to, to, to bad kid camp in Oregon?
2: <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting. And I didn't think about it until even recently, a couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> uh so at the time my uncle and my aunt so i went to live with my mom's brother and um, at that time he was uh practicing the faith he was in the charismatic renewal um you know involved over there in oregon and so we were going we we would go uh, i think it was thursday nights over there and and then go to sunday Uh, Sunday mass. And, and eventually I joined, I joined the choir there. That's where I was getting my guitar practice and, you know, and so, um, I mean, I wasn't necessarily going against my will. Um, but I didn't, it wasn't a tangible thing for me as far as having a, like a, a relationship with our Lord, at the time, but it was just, you know, well, I mean, this is the world that I'm engulfed in. Uh, you know, I guess this is how maybe everybody believes, right? Um, and so I was just, I was in it, you know, I mean, I wasn't involved in, in their prayer group or anything at all. I was, I was still doing my own thing, but, um, you know, but that was around the time that, um, you know, to kind of be a little bit modest, but, you know, I was going through puberty and all that. And so a lot of things were happening and, you know, I was, was, and so I came back home and, um, so now my parents are practicing and, but that was, so being with my uncle, there was someone, someone always above me someone always looking out for me, making sure that I'm always, you know, on top of it. So he was kind of very militaristic and, but going home, you know, I had a lot of freedom. And I mean, I was recently talking to this with a mom and, and, you know, and that freedom came with a lot of dangers, you know? And so going through what I was going through, you know, and as I say, curiosity kills the cat, you know, and I didn't have anybody to call me out on my stuff. You know, my dad always was always working. My mom was always working, you know. And then when it came time to um, down to the nitty gritty of, of finding out what was going on in my life, nobody was there to hold me accountable, you know. So I was doing whatever I wanted and not being told that it was wrong or, you know, that I couldn't. You know, until- so
0: so here's my question for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So like nobody was like telling you that it was wrong, and nobody was telling you that couldn't, but you couldn't. But did did you feel like maybe you were on a bad path? Like did you feel like something was wasn't right? I mean, did you at least kind of feel? I mean, I feel like there's there's a lot of us who who would pretend like oh well, there's not a big deal to do this, or that, or the mm-hmm. other. I've I've mm-hmm. gone through all those things. But if I look back and I think about what was really going through my head, I think I knew yeah but the stuff I was doing was not it was not good for me you know I was wondering what was that like a conflict at all in you?
2: It was because i mean, even though my parents were really around um they did instill in us some levels of morality and uh consciousness as far as you know good and bad and so yeah i did i i did recognize that some of the things I was doing was bad, you know, it was getting high and, and, you know, being promiscuous. And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know that I should really be doing these things, but they feel really good and they, nobody's there to stop me. So I'm just going to keep going. Um But I do credit uh, the uh ver- the fact that I was more afraid of disappointing my parents with Uh, as far as drugs go so I didn't go anything stronger than than marijuana you know because I was afraid that my parents would find out and then they'd probably you know kick me out of the house or something you know
0: so this is gonna sound crazy uh and I'm not gonna get into the full like scope of moral theology on this question but someone might say well that's real rich man like you say i i didn't want to make my parents really upset so i didn't do anything harder than marijuana but that's still that, that's an actual like move of conscience in your in your soul right like it's a it's it's you even when you think you've got like no boundaries and and your world's spinning out like you've made some kind of moral line there um which i don't think people appreciate like how big of a deal that is um moral theologians talk about this kind of stuff all the time like what is the spark what's the glimmer That's kind of holding you back from like fully destroying, destroying yourself. But I want to get to something, Carlos. you said on your journey home episode, and it really struck me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's along those those same lines where you said something to the effect. and, And there was another guy who said it just a few episodes before you recorded yours. And this, I think what stuck with me is that you knew that what you didn't need somebody to tell you that what you were doing was wrong. You did need somebody to tell you that you were loved in spite of all of that. Um, I wonder how important that was to to realize in, in, in all the stuff that you were caught up in, like when you finally realized that God loved you where you were, like what what kind of impact did that make to you and, and how did that really kind of manifest? Like when was it that you really found out that God loved you and that you were worthy of his well well that you that he loved you, right? Whether or not you were worthy of his love.
1: I mean, I think I could always, you know, intellectually say God loves me, right? And not really believe it in my heart, right? It wasn't until, um, it's a long story, but there was a gangster rap concert that I I, I was doing at the time. um, In which, you know, there was 1,500 middle school and high school age youth at the event. And I just felt really bad, you know, performing a bunch of very, you know, vulgar, violent, um, you know, gangster rap lyrics in front of. And I was really convicted that night. Uh, and, but that feeling, that conviction, I guess, and seeing what I was doing in that light actually, in a weird way, made me feel like, you know, God loves me. God, I'm actually, and what, what really made me feel like God loved me was I, I that was the first time I actually felt Him tugging. At my heart, you know, like there was times where, you know, I knew things were wrong or I knew I was, but it wasn't like God was tugging at my heart. So to say he was, I didn't feel it in that way at at that time. Right. That night though, at that concert, I really didn't feel like God was like, I could, I could, I could feel God nudging me and saying, dude, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? You know, turn to me already. Don't you get it? I love you. I have something better for you. I'm calling you to so much greater stuff. And, and so that night, um, I, I, was just in tears, like for, for what felt like a couple of hours at least, right? And, uh, I just couldn't stop crying because it was like the first time that I felt like God loved me. And I think it goes a lot deeper. If I was to get, you know, real deep with it, I think I struggled in general with, with the idea of people loving me, you know, uh, and so it, I guess it's not too far fetched that I, that I would have that same sentiment towards God right or, or feeling about God you know not loving me because I, I had a pretty kind of kind of a rough relationship with my dad and I so to of say um, you know, I love my dad respect my dad you know God bless his soul he, he's, he's not, no, not with us any longer but uh growing up I, I just honestly didn't really feel like my dad cared too much about me or like he really loved me and stuff so um you know and, and I, I, I don't want to like disrespect my dad in any way, so I hope nobody takes it that way. Because I love my dad all my heart and all my soul, right? And I want to respect him and honor him in every way. But at the time, I, I felt like my dad didn't love me, and uh, uh, and I had just been through so much suffering, so much pain, you know, throughout my life, my early life, that I just just had a hard time accepting any love from anywhere, let alone God's love, right? And so, like when I did feel that, um, it was life changing, <laughs> you know. It was life-changing, God, you know, just knowing that God loves me, knowing that he has something in store for me, knowing that he has better plans than what I have for myself. It, it was just a, it was kind of like a natural high, right? So to say, like a spiritual high, it's like, man, that's a good feeling, and I, I don't ever want to lose that feeling, so I kept chasing it, you know?
0: Well, and I, I think it's so important to, to to note in in your story, and I want to get to, I want to ask the same question to you in just a second, Fonzie, is that God didn't wait until you'd fixed everything in your life to express to you <laughs> that that he loved you. Like he didn't wait until you'd like gotten your whole world in order before that tug, that tug happened. Um, and I, I hope people understand that. I hope people watching this right now hear that anybody who like feels this, exactly what you're talking about. All right. Um, yeah. They don't feel like the church cares about them or that God cares about them or their own fam- family cares about them. Right. Uh, people in their school, people in their workplace, like, um, you don't have to fix everything for God to love you. Right. He loves you like no matter how low you go. So uh, Fonzie, what was like, I mean, when did you feel that, that turn, right. That, that, uh, that God didn't want you to like keep on walking down this road. Um, not because he was mad at you for doing it, but because he loved you too much to see you keep doing it to yourself.
2: It was going to be the bur- the weekend of my birthday, my 17th birthday. My mom invited me to a retreat and, uh, lo and behold, around that time was when uh, years later, I found out that she started getting some sort of hints that I was doing something wrong. So she just, she just asked me, Hey, you want to go to this retreat? And you know, like a natural mama's boy, he's like, are you going with me? You know, I'll go if you go. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'll go with you. You know, so we, I ended up going and, uh, it was being held at the, at the time it was Orange County Diocese headquarters. And, and so, you know, the, the weekend passed Saturday, uh, Friday passed Saturday passed, and it was Sunday. And so Sunday there was a, a young man at the time. He was, I think, in his mid twenties, late twenties, and he was just sharing his story. And a lot of it just felt very similar to what I was living at the time, you know, and it just struck at me. And I literally, I just listened the entire time. I didn't take my eyes off of him. You know, I was listening, literally listening, you know, just hearing every word. And at the end of the talk, you know, they do this uh, prayer time. And then uh, I just was sobbing, sobbing the entire time, you know, just Repenting for my sin, you know, for the things that I did, lying to my parents, you know, and but I mean, unfortunately, that wasn't my come to Jesus moment where I'm going to leave everything and follow Him, you know, just like an addict, you know. There was there was a a regression, you know. I I took a few steps back, and it, it was about two years. And then afterwards, um, but I recognized because around that time, it was almost similar to what Carlos was feeling, you know, it's like, hold on. Okay, so you're saying you love me in spite of what I did, you know, in spite of the fact that I was hurting you, that I was, in essence, recrucifying you with my sins, you know, it's like, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't fathom the thought that somebody would love me in spite of hurting them. And I struggled with that for a couple of years, you know. It was always uh something that I'd tell my confessor, you know. I just, I can't, I can't believe that God loves me, even though I've done what I've done, you know. And- well, I'm glad
0: you brought up confession uh, because, you know, there are people who maybe are like, I want to go back to mass. I'm I'm okay with going back to mass. Maybe hiding in the back. I know yeah. what I've done. I'll just sit in the back and just watch or whatever. But the idea of going back to confession to get back in the state that I know I've got to be in to walk yeah. back in that communion line, like that's, that's terrifying enough for those of us who go to mass all the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's hard enough for me to get in that line as a guy who goes every week, uh, to, to mass, you know, and sometimes daily, uh, but Carlos, when you, when you knew you had to go back to confession and it had been a long time and there was a lot to talk about, like what, what were you, I mean, what did it, what were you feeling knowing that you had to go there and, and, and being afraid of like maybe what you were going to have to say, like maybe you were going to like embarrass yourself. The priest was not going to be down with what you had to say. Like what, what was going through your mind as you were trying to prepare to come back to confession, because there are probably some people out there right now who are thinking about going back and are just they got a lot on their mind that's maybe keeping them back. So
1: when I decided to go back to confession, I had already spent two to three years kind of like um, filling my mind with with information about about our faith. You know, doing apologetics courses and you know, downloading courses, and you know, um, just studying and praying so our, I knew in my mind the reality of what you know what confession is and what happens to confession and and I and I knew that you know when when the priest says you know I absolve you of your sins it's as good as Jesus saying it himself you know I, I knew that And I was still scared you know to, to go because I was like yeah but what if he like scolds me or what if I'm embarrassed or what if they you know what if it's shocking to him some of the stuff that I've done or what if it's whatever the case is, right? And um, my reversion confession, um, I knew it was going to take some time because I had a lot to get off my chest. It had been many, many years since my, my previous confession. And so I booked um, a time, you know, off, off the normal schedule for, for confession with my parish pa- uh, priest um, to, to go and make a confession with him in the evening, like in a weekday. And, and we were there for probably an hour and a half, maybe. That was a while. We were talking and, and, uh, it was, it was, uh, it was one, you know, it was a, it, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be because again, you know, I, I, I understood, you know, that this is, you know, the priest is acting in, in persona Christi, right? In, in the person of Christ, you know, with Christ's authority to, you know, um, it wasn't like, you know, uh, I, I kind of started to realize in, in my conversation with the priest that priests weren't always priests either, <laughs> right? And so they, they, a lot of them have had their own fair share of, of sins, you know, or even gr- grievous sins, you know, to confess, right? So, and, and they've heard everything. They've heard everything from the, you know, little white lies to the most, you know, Again, grievous sins that there are. You mean, and so nothing is really shocking, right? And and so you know, once I made that confession and, and I heard those words of you know of absolution, it was just like, um, wow, that was easy. You know, <laughs> like that was not not nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, and 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 I knew I was like, wow. I mean, I'm in a state of grace. Like I was like, I, for the first time in a long, long, long time, I could say, as a matter of fact, I'm in a state of grace. You know, and uh, of course, I've got to maintain that just like anyone else. Right. And so uh, now I try to go to confession, you know, at least once a month, um, at least once a month. I try to go every other week most of the time, but sometimes, you know, you know how things go. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that was my kind of experience with that that confession, returning back to, to the church.
0: Yeah, Fonzie, it's a little bit different the way you're describing uh, your situation, because you know, you go to confession, and then you, you know, you're still caught in some stuff that you're trying to shake. And, and the, the, the news for anybody who's outside the church and afraid to come back is, like, all of us who go to confession regularly, there's a reason we go. It's because we haven't figured this whole thing out yet, right? Mm-hmm. It's because uh, we're all—I mean, I feel like I'm a broken record, right? I feel like I could just, like, record one of my confessions and replay it the next time I go in, you know? I mean, I feel like that's—so— I mean, how can you, what would you say to somebody who's like discouraged maybe because like they're afraid they're going to go back to confession and within like 24 hours just mess up on every single thing that they just confessed like all over again? Uh, Because I know that's part of what you just shared was part of your own struggle.
2: Yeah, that was, um, I mean, Carlos knows about this, you know, I was involved in a relationship for such a long time and that would literally happen, you know, um, I'd go to confession for falling and then fall right back, like almost the same day sometimes, you know, and I would just wallow in my misery. You know, I was like, man, I just left confession. You know, I'm supposed to fight. I'm supposed to, you know, and but it. that's one of the things that years later, I came to realize that where. We try to, what would be the word where we focus too much on, or if, if there is exists such a expression, focus too much on the spirituality and not on our humanity, as far as our mental health goes, as far as making sure, um, that, you know, some of the things we do are, in fact, because of our upbringings, you know, it's not because we're possessed in any way. It's not because there are demons that are after us, but because, you know, like my dad wasn't there, you know, so naturally I look for brotherhood and, and or someone, a father figure in somebody else, you know, and that somebody else is probably a bad influence, you know. Which is why, you know, during that time that I was doing what I was doing, you know, joining gangs, you know, hanging out with gangsters, you know, going out in the streets, doing graffiti, all of that are external expressions of what, of the turmoil that was going on inside my heart and my mind, you know. And so, um, just struggling with the fact after, Going to confession and then falling again. I mean, there were times where I said, you know, I'm just not going to go to confession anymore. You know, like it doesn't it doesn't make sense or it's not worth it to go to confession. I'm just going to be in my sin. But then time would pass and I would just feel it. You know, I just feel grimy. I just and it's interesting. St. Augustine uh, writes that. Sometimes our sin will begin to, to externalize on, on, on our faces, you know, and I, but I wholeheartedly believe that, you know, sometimes our sin, it'll show up on our face, you know. And so and it was only by, I mean, you know, the prayers of my, my parents at the time, you know, the prayers of my prayer group. And even, I mean, even my own little moments of grace, as I'd like to say, um where I would ask Our Lady more than anything, it was through Our Lady because we feel most unworthy to approach our Lord directly. And as Catholics, I mean, we have Our Lady, we have the saints, you know, it's like, hey, I know you know what it's like, you know, speaking with St. Alphonsus, St. Francis de Sales, you know, it's like, I know you know what it's like. Like, help me, help me, you know, get out of this rut, you know. And essentially, I mean, you know, more than anything, it was through the saints and the Blessed Mother, you know. Uh, there's a priest that says, um, you, once you pick up the rosary, you will do one or th- one of two things. You will either continue praying the rosary and leave your sin. Or you will continue to fall in your sin and leave the rosary, you know? And so picking up the rosary more than, you know, just, I mean, essentially the rosary with the sacraments, you know, was what gave me the the courage, because that's what it takes, humility and courage to go to confession, you know? I mean, even to this day, like, You know, 17 years later, because I'm going to be 34 tomorrow, 17 years later, I still get super nervous going to confession, you know. But I know that without it, it just, I know what it feels like to go without it for so long. I don't want to go through that anymore, you know. So. Oh, tell me you were
0: 34. You're a baby, man. You're (laughs) baby. Carlos, you wanted to add something to that.
1: Well, and I was going to say one thing that, a couple of things that came to my, my mind uh, as as I was listening to Fonzie Talk. Um, one thing that, I, I guess this was a grace in and of itself. I had a, a, a particular confessor that I went to for a long period of time. I went to the same confessor, the same priest. And, and in a sense, I, he was kind of like my spiritual guide for that time in my life, right? Uh, he's passed away even now, but uh, he was a great, great priest, great, faithful and, and wonderful priest. And so he would actually kind of like help me to kind of like um, dig a little deeper as to why I, I keep falling into the same sins or, or he would challenge me, challenge my thinking and kind of be like, you know, the, he would tell me my penance and he would say, but I want to challenge you also. And I want you to, to really kind of dig a little deep in, in yourself and in your life and figure out what are some of the triggers that make you fall into this sin, you know, what You know what type? What are you doing when these thoughts come into your mind? What are you doing when you, when you're faced with these temptations? You know how do you react when this temptation pops up? What are you doing to to resist or or, sorry to uh to avoid that moment of temptation? I I just want to challenge you. So he would challenge me, uh, and that was that's kind of the good thing about having a a, like a regular confessor, like somebody you go to regularly, because they get to know you on, on a little bit more personal level. And I, and I think th- they do have a little bit more, um, comfort and you have a little more comfort in, in discussing things in, in a little bit more depth and, and, and trying to like really kind of figure out how to maneuver this life's sin, right? And so that was one thing I wanted to add to it. And then the other thing was back, uh, I don't mean to go back too far, but thinking back about my reversion, um, I was about 30, 31 or so when I, when I had my reversion, um, which was about fifteen years ago, more or less. Yeah, about fifteen years ago, and my daughter was seven years old at the time. So I had to set my daughter was seven at the time. So I remember very, you know, clearly thinking in my mind that I didn't want my daughter growing up having the same, you know, feelings of not being loved that I had growing up. Which was part of, I think, which was part of, you know. The reason why i had my reversion <laughs> you know I anyway mean? i think there's, there's a lot that went into my reversion right it wasn't just that one night at the concert right the more and more i kind of think about it there's more things that kind of like it was all layered up and so like um yeah just knowing that that night that i was at the concert with all the youth knowing that my daughter was at home and and i would have been very angry had somebody else been there talking to my daughter the way i was about to be talking to their kids you know what I mean and so you know and I didn't want my daughter to ever have those feelings of not being loved and not being uh, welcome, not being you know whatever it was. And so that was one of the reasons I changed, you know. And, and uh so yeah, I, I don't know if that adds to it, but uh, <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. I
0: mean, that's part of it, man. Like your conversions for you, but it's never just for you, you know. Yeah. It's for well, I mean, we're all we're all husbands and fathers here, right? I mean, it's for our whole family. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's for all. Uh, I mean, it's for our whole family here. It's for our family that's gone before us, right? It's for mm-hmm. our family that's not yet born, right? It's for, you know, it's it's for. This is, I think, one of the the um the hardest things for for us to 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 think about when we get into that headspace where we're just so crushed by our own guilt and sin that we don't even want to seek mercy, like you were saying, Fonzie, like where we don't even feel like it's worth it because we don't feel strong enough to to stop. Doing whatever dumb thing that it is that we're doing, like whether it's just, you know, you're even if it's something like your temper, right? Um, it, it, you don't feel strong enough to stop, so you just turn in on yourself. But you know, like you're saying, it's 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 not just us, right? We're we're not meant to be. I mean, this is part of the problem with a lot of um, the evangelical circumstances I came from. You put it into the me and Jesus zone, right? And that's a lot of pressure. You put yourself into the communion of saints. You put yourself into the body of Christ, right? You put yourself in a parish that's got hundreds of families in it, and suddenly you're in a world where there are people who are all on this journey together. You know, all in this struggle, all in this situation. It's the body of Christ, right? The, it's not we're it's all not on just the just together, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. and that's that's one of the things. I mean, for the objections that people have, I mean, partly tied into this objection, I, and I. I would love to hear both of your takes on this is that I'm going to come back to church and I may get right with God in the confessional, but the people in this building, like the people I went to high school with who go to this church or, you know, the, my coworkers who go here or my family members. They're going to be like, this guy's not changed. Right. Or they're going to pick me out for a fraud. Uh, I mean, what would you say to somebody who like, that's their fear. They're going to come back and they're going to try, but nobody's going to believe them. Nobody's going to accept them because everybody in that building or enough, even just a handful of people in that building know who they really are. Like, what would you say to somebody who that's their, that's the reason for not coming back?
2: I think I can start with this one because, um, so a couple years ago I started, um, so I left, I wouldn't say left, but I had hit a plateau being in the charismatic renewal. And I felt like, you know, you can only take so much, I was telling my mom this earlier, uh, I think you can only take so much noise. And so I was looking for something. And it was one of my, through one of my friends that I recognized that the word was, I was looking for solemnity. I was looking for something more solemn, something more, you know, uh, meditative, something more, just, you know, something more quiet. And that was around the time where I was discerning the priesthood and, you know, came across the Benedictines. And then, at the t- so I was living in Orange County and I came across the Norbertines.
0: Oh yeah. So uh, I got, we have lots and lots of Norbertine friends here, man. Father Sebastian Walsh yeah. and a whole bunch of those. Those guys know how to pray <laughs> yeah, and get serious so, about it.
2: So, at the time, there was a friend of mine who was going with the Norbertines uh, because there was a Norbertine who had founded a a lay fraternity called the Brotherhood of St. Dismas. And um, so, I started going with them. It's a, one of the first encounters was, well, I'm going to pick you up at 5 in the morning because mass starts at 6.30. You know, and we lived kind of a while away. And so I'm like, uh, okay, fine. You know, so here we are going and, you know, go to mass. And so the Norbertines are, I, are, they offer both forms of the mass, the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I mean, this one was, uh, at the Novus Ordo mass, uh, in Latin with chanting and everything. And that, so that was my first experience with uh anything as far as tradition goes, you know, or or traditional. And so, but I was blown away, you know, cause at that time I still hadn't gone with the Benedictines yet, you know, in, in Mount Angel. And so, but I was blown away, you know, just the chanting, the reverence in the mass, you know, I was just like, whatever this is, I want more of it. Right. So that became my journey. That was around the time I met my wife, you know, she had already experienced the Latin mass, you know. And so when I moved here to Houston was when I started going to the Latin mass. I mean, now we live four minutes away from the parish, you know, I mean, Carlos recently visited, he was there, you know, he saw me serve. So now I serve at the Latin mass. And so to your question, it's one of those things. I mean, even to this day, I sometimes struggle with that being open to the fact to, to people to tell them I am a Catholic hip hop artist. The expression and I was, I was talking about this this weekend. We had our festival. I was t- talking to this with a parishioner of mine. Um, you know, and so he, and I tell him there's either one or two of, of expressions when I tell them. It's either, Oh, that's nice. Oh, look, there's so and so. I got to go over there. Or it's, uh, wait, what? You're a Catholic hip hop artist and you come to Latin mass. How does that work? And then we get into this conversation, you know? Um, and so I had a friend of mine and I, I introduced him to Carlos, you know, he was doing Exodus 90. And he comes up to me and he says, "Yo, Fonz," he's like, "Do you know this group?" And he's playing, uh, he's playing a song by Foundation. He's like, "Do you know this group? Yeah, this group is dope, you know." It's, and I'm like, You're "Like, yeah, I did those you, beats." <laughs> those what, before beats. I told him, I said, uh, "How'd you come across this group?" He's like, "There's a playlist on Spotify, Exodus 90." He's like, "So Exodus 90 only allows Christian music, and they were on there." I needed workout music, and this is great. You should listen to them. He's like, do you know who they are? And I said, uh, yeah, that's that's me. And he's like, what? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'm in that group. He's like, you're actually listening to my stuff, the pr- the production and everything. And he was just like, he was mind blown. And he was like, but you come here. And I'm like, yeah. He's said, like, but you produce this? It's like, yeah. How does that work? It's like, how does that not work? You know, it's like, what does St. Paul said? You know, be all to all, you know, be all things to all people. You know, it's like, and so then later on, as we got to know each other, he told me and me and my wife, because my wife is a huge hip hop hit as well. He He tells me and my wife, you know, you know. I really appreciate you guys because you guys make me feel welcomed. You guys make me feel like I can be myself and grow in the faith, you know? And so, I, I mean, I felt really honored that he said that. You know, he's like, You're, he, you're making such an important point because, it, and
0: I hope people, Catch it. And in case they don't, I'm going to go more explicit. First of all, um, I'm the guy who listens to punk rock and metal in my car, and I like chant in my <laughs> church. Like, I want to rock out there. <laughs> I want to pray in here. It's yeah. It's yeah. I, I make clear distinctions. But I think that one of the reasons that people are afraid they're going to come into the church and, and like the guy you're talking to, um, everybody's going to think that they stick out like a sore thumb is because they mm-hmm. they assume that everybody who's a practicing Catholic is like humorless. Never Sins is like, you know, carrying around some holy water to like throw at anybody if like anybody unholy (laughs) comes around. Like they they feel like we all have it together and they're the only person who doesn't, right? And the fact of the matter is like we're all made as God made us to be and we got sins that we got to fight. We got stuff that we love. We got hobbies. We got families. We got – we're all unique individual creations of God, right? And – It's not like you're going to be the first person like yourself who's ever been a practicing Catholic, right? There's like a billion people in this church, right? And I think that from the outside, it just looks like there's all kind of, it's just like one group, right? One group of people. And I'll never fit in with that group. But I mean, that's the variety in the body of Christ. I mean, look at the communion of saints. It's it's an incredible thing. Um, Carlos, did you have something you want to add in terms of like a person who thinks like, well, they'll... I'll never fit in with this group. Like what would you say to them?
1: Well, one thing I'd say is if the, if the people that are in the church, if there's a specific group of people that are actually like that, actually very condescending or very judgmental, there's probably not much you could do to kind of win their approval anyway. You you know, (laughs) I wouldn't worry too much about it. I mean, that's just me speaking, right? Uh, Another other thing is that I always tell people, I have this feeling that when God brings a particular person or a particular group of people to my mind or to my awareness for whatever reason, that that's kind of a sign from God that he's asking me to pray for those people. And I don't know whether or not that's true. Um, maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, right? But I feel like sometimes God is like, look, you know, I want you to pray for this group of people. You know that? you might not like them, you know, might not care too much about what they're doing or what they're saying. I want you to pray for them though. And for me, I take that as a challenge to, to kind of increase in holiness, so to say, right. Um, you know, praying for people that, that, you know, sometimes maybe wouldn't do the same for me in return. Right. Um, so, so there's that. And then the other thing too, the third thing I'd say as far as like, you know, having that feeling of not, you know, not being accepted or not being welcome. I'd say, I'd say this here, and it took me a long time to kind of understand this here, but we're not at mass, you know, I mean, we think we're there because we decided to go or because our parents dragged us there or because our friend invited us or because whatever the case is, right? The reality is we're there because we were called there by God. We were drawn there by God by the Holy Spirit. He used whatever whatever he had to use to get us there, but he's the one that called us there, so it's his house He's the one that gets to determine whether or not you're welcome or not, right It's nobody else's house it's the father's house, right it's God's house, and so he let him he's the one that decides who's welcome who's not welcome. If he called you there, it's obviously because you're welcome, and it took me a long time to really kind of understand that so
0: yeah. I mean, it's so important. I mean, who are you there for? Are you yeah. there for the people? Or are you there for the person truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity on that altar, right? I mean,
1: and what's a sense, the real reason both, that you're right? there? Yeah, in a sense, we'd say both, right? Right. In a sense, we are there for the body and for the you know edification and growth and communion, right? But we're all there for the same reason, though, <laughs> and we're all there called by the same person. Yeah. god well
0: right? and what i yeah. what i found and this is this works in a whole bunch of different contexts but if you're not on the same page with somebody um whether it's theologically personally culturally any of it right um focus on christ right because the closer each of you get to christ mm-hmm. the closer you'll get to one another right I mean, that's how the triangle kind of yeah. folds but um i wanted to ask one other one last question um because both of you brought up, uh, you know, coming from Latino families where there's like a big strong cultural uh, Catholicism push, but not everybody is necessarily all completely dialed in on, on what it's all about. This happens in like – there are like so many cultures that have this going on, right? The Irish have this going on in spades, right? There's there's just like a bunch of different cultures where it's built in for everybody to kind of like act and be and think and talk Catholic and use Catholic images, but but not necessarily – have that like really be something that's that's like really in them um what would you say to anybody who's got all those trappings all those images um that's part of their upbringing that's part of their culture right to encourage them to to have it be in here and not just like out here um Fonzie what would what would you say to that
2: yeah it's a constant conversation I mean
0: I'm saying this cuz you have got Guadalupe uh, in in your background yeah. uh, right now. I don't know if the yeah, podcast I mean, people can see her but she's oh, oh Carlos is shifting the camera. She's on two of my screens now.
2: Go. I mean there it I'm, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about one of my sisters who's unfortunately, you know, away from the faith but she continues to use the imagery Right. And one of the things that I constantly tell her is, you know, you know, that image that you're using, like she's waiting for you. You know, she's waiting for you to talk to her so you can talk to her. You know, she's waiting to hear from you. And I mean, she hears your cries. She hears your your thoughts. When, you know, you're asking for help internally, even though you may not be telling her specifically, you know, um, but she's real and she wants to lead you to her son, you know, because more importantly, she wants the salvation of your soul. She wants you to have exactly what Jesus wants you to have, and that's life and life in abundance, you know. All that that entails, you know, and so, I mean, the imagery just, I mean, it's, it's to draw us, you know, that's why the church throughout the centuries has always used art, you know, because it's a means to, to grab our attention It's like, wow, look how amazing and beautiful that is, you know. And in the same way, we'll always use it to call our attention to a life of grace, you know. And I mean, that's so that's something that I always tell my sister and that's something that I'll always tell everybody, you know. Uh, It's like that image right there, you know, could be of a saint, could be of our Lord, it could be of our lady, you know. They're waiting for you, waiting for you to talk to them, you know. Don't be afraid to like, just let them know what you feel, whether you're angry, whether you're upset, whether you're, you're, you know, sad, it's like, they're just waiting for you to talk to them, you know, talk to them.
0: Yeah. I I was in uh RCIA this week and one of the guys was telling a story, a, a joke he heard about a, um, these people were visiting this convent and they saw this nun outside this convent and she was off in the garden yelling and throwing her shoe and, you know, whatever and the guy was like, what's that, what's that nun doing over there? And one of the other nuns said, well, she's just praying, right? <laughs> like, you know, it's, God's not afraid of our anger, right? At least we're talking to him, right, if we're expressing that in prayer. At least we're talking to him. Um, but Carlos, you wanted to add something.
1: Um, well, you know, the, with the, as far as like the imagery, I guess I want to make sure I understand the question correctly. So you're trying to basically wonder how we kind of incorporate the imagery into
0: Get it beyond just like a cultural thing right and that's a, a to make it like a personal a personal thing
1: you know i think it's always been my experience that when you when you challenge people, they usually will kind of meet and exceed your expectations right so I was like to just kind of challenge people as to what the imagery really is and where does it come from what does it mean you know why do you have a reverence for it you know if you know um is it really only just a cultural thing or or do you have some sort of reverence for it? And I think most people will kind of figure out that they do have some sort of reverence for those images. Right. Um, you know, um, I think I've used this example before with you in, in the past. But, you know, just one example from my background, if, if you drive into like a Mexican barrio or, you know, kind of Mexican ghetto area, right, you might see, you know, Getting graffiti or, or or tag or graffiti tagged out, and you know being disrespectful and whatnot. But if there's a, a mural of of Our Lady or a mural of Our Lord, or a mural of the Holy Spirit, or anything like that, they don't touch those images. They're they're left untouched, and everything else around it is still marked out, right? But they they don't touch those images. And and I was like, if it's only just a cultural thing, then why was there that little, that reverence, you know, to say I need to have at least enough reverence to leave that that holy image alone, right? <laughs> Um, this
0: is this goes back to when Fonzie was like, "I'm only gonna smoke weed. I'm not gonna go anything farther." <laughs> exactly. Right. Drawing that moral line, it's something, right? It's something to hold on to.
1: That's a ray of light. That's a ray of light, right? And uh, you know, I think Pope Francis was the one that said it. You know, we instead of kind of beating people down over their sins and whatnot, we got to find those rays of light and help to nourish them and bring more to fruition. And and so um, that's kind of what I used to like to tell people, as far as the imagery goes. And then, and then also I like to always kind of show people how how distinct it is, how, how, how distinct Catholic imagery in, in particular, right. Um, I guess Christian imagery in general, but you know, specifically Catholic imagery, I'll say it's, it sets us apart from the world. You know what I mean? You can't, if you're watching a movie and they want to portray something, you know, Christian, they always put Catholic imagery because if they don't pick Catholic imagery, you can't tell it apart from the, from the rest of the world. Or you can't tell if you're just at some, some guy's office is wearing a uh a suit even though it's the pastor right uh they always put them in a the cleric they always put them in the church with a with a tabernacle with the you know with the pews it's just so they use all the catholic imagery so i was challenge them i say why why do you think that is you know th- i think that's done by design you know <laughs> by design and who do you think that designer is you know that designer is, is our lord himself right the holy spirit and so i, I challenge people that way also and then Knowing that people have this kind of maybe, um, maybe, you know, they don't realize it, but knowing that they do have this underlying reverence, I always tell people, look, if you don't, if you don't believe me, you know, if you're, if, let's just say, for example, if you're having problems looking at things on your phone that you shouldn't be looking at, right? I think we know what I'm talking about, right? Try, try putting a screensaver of, of Our Lady on your phone and see how much more difficult it is to do it. You know, like you know, and then they'll kind of slowly but surely see that you know what you're right. that, that is difficult, you know, and and I don't know why it's difficult because I thought it was just a cultural thing, but I guess and I never realized that I do hold a, a special reverence for these images and stuff like that. So just kind of like to help them see the the value of the imagery uh, for what it is by kind of like you know just kind of opening their eyes to the to the graces I guess that are that are in the imagery, they're behind the imagery.
0: Yeah. yeah, I say I feel like John Mark Rodi would be awesome in this conversation because he would get into all the philosophy of how like a culture is actually everybody thinks it's on the surface, but it, it became a culture because it's in your bones, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somehow it's in your bones. But this is actually kind of how the mass works too, right? Like yeah. you may not understand everything about the mass. There's little, little ladies who've been going to mass for 80 years who couldn't tell you like what all the pieces are, but it's in their bones, man. It's in their yeah. it's in their bones. Mm-hmm. This is part of who they are. Um, This has been an awesome conversation, and I hope if anybody's out there listening and for whatever reason, maybe they had some faith as a kid. Maybe they got into stuff that they didn't – that they're not proud of. Um, Maybe they feel that tug on their heart like you were talking about, Carlos. Um, Maybe they're afraid they'll mess up again even after they come back like you were talking about, Fonzie. Whatever the reason, don't be afraid. Come back. Come check it out. Uh, Come sit in the back if you have to don't be afraid to come back to confession. I just want to put that out there and put the invitation and the welcome uh, because you're looking at three sinners right here and there's a whole parish full of them down the street from wherever you live. So yeah. none of us are any better than you. We're just sinners in need of a savior. So uh, I also want to encourage people to check out uh, you guys' music. Um, Found Nation Family is uh, linked at uh, the show notes here. You guys have got a ton of awesome stuff. Every single guy in your group has got an awesome story, and I'm gonna tell them all before, nice. before I'm through nice. uh, to get you nice. all on. But, uh, yeah. but Fonzie, Carlos, thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Really appreciate it, and and hopefully people hear uh, hear the sincerity and, and truth, and and uh, take you guys up on your offer to come back
1: anytime, man, anytime. Yeah,
0: honor. And thank you for checking us out on this episode of CH Network Presents. I'm Matt Swain, and we'll talk to you again next time around. Lord,
1: I a rough patch in my hard times. Hard time. Glad I didn't wind up in them chalk lines. Line. Should have been dead at least three or four times. Oh, Running true. with them killers with them dang black knives. I was lost to sea and uh. had no direction. The fate was passed to me, but there was an interception. I didn't know what to think. I knew hey. as I was suffering. Had the lack of people caring really troubled me. Yeah. There was no love, the attitude was more light. Don't let the dough knob hit you in the face. But despite that, my search for truth brought me home Cause the whole truth is found in his church alone There's an empty for you, come see what the Lord can do for you Better yet, come see what you can do for him Bring all your sins and your suffering Pain and the struggling He's
2: faithful, he keeps his covenant There's an empty pew for you Come see what the Lord can do for you Better yet, come see what you can do for him Bring all your sins and your suffering